When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the big interview. Welcome to our first two-parter for many, many moons, and it merits two parts. Welcome to the story of Joe Jordan. Joe was part of a, a fabulous lead side, underestimated, misrepresented, but also one of a colony of great Scots down there, Billy Bremner, uh, Bobby Collins, Peter Lorimer, Eddie Gray, particularly Gordon McQueen, who made a young Scot like me believe that if you were ambitious and aggressive and talented enough, then not only could you succeed, but you could go and succeed in different countries. I didn't know until now that Joe's story intersects with mine a little bit more. In 1982, the World Cup, a formative experience for me and my best friend Graham Runcie. We went there for a month, lived it up. I was broken hearted and I've held a grudge about Alan Hansen bumping into Willie Miller in the final group game, allowing the USSR to burst away and score and ensuring that the 2-2 draw we got that night wasn't good enough for Scotland to go through. But what it also ensured was that Joe Jordan and Gordon McQueen, using Joe's Italian contacts, could travel up later in that tournament to go to the final in Madrid, where Italy beat West Germany. And they celebrated. And the following day, Joe and Gordon are in the Madrid airport, ready to fly back to Malaga to join their families in Marbella, when a young child, a story above Joe up on the first floor, climbs onto the balcony, falls off. And between landing on Joe catching this child, a life is saved. As Joe says, had it not been for that moment in the Malaga Stadium when Alan Hansen knocked Willie Miller over needlessly, he wouldn't have been in Madrid and that young child wouldn't have been saved. Life's incredible. Joe's a humble man and we had football things to talk about, which is why I tell the anecdote now rather than pressing on him to tell that tale again during the interview. But what he does do brilliantly is tell you something about a generation of working class Scots from a mining community who were hard ambitious, intelligent, able to cope with the world, and a talented footballer who I think has been represented as a hard man far, far, far too often compared to being represented as a talented, intelligent, ambitious, successful centre-forward, able to take his trade to Manchester United, to be successful to play in a variety of European finals, to go to AC Milan, to go to Verona, to play with Southampton, to witness the debut of... Matt Letizia with them, Alan Shearer arriving at the club. But we start with the Leeds years. 
years of exceptional, consistent, determined football that if you strip away the way that they're pigeonholed unfairly as simply being hard-nosed, easy to dislike, a team absolutely jam-packed full of talent, inventiveness and a, and a determination to never let defeat beat them. I love that. And this is how Joe tells that great story in this first part of the big interview with Joe Jordan. Joe Jordan, it might embarrass you, but it's a huge honour for a Scot like me who watched you play from when I was very young, marvelled at your skills, admired you at a time when I thought you represented things that we were really proud of in Scotland, being strong, independent, talented, successful at a time in the 60s and 70s when I was growing up and we all grew up looking for our identity and it was great to have role models who could go first to England and then abroad. And it's when I researched before this interview, which we're really privileged to get, so thank you. Pleasure. You began playing with the man known as the King, King Joey Harper, if you're an Aberdonian. Yeah, yeah. If I'm right. Yeah, that's right, yeah. You were so good that you kept Joe Harper in midfield, if, if I'm not wrong. Certainly, you were the striker and he wasn't. Now, I don't know about that. Tell me about no, it. No, I, th- I think, case. I mean... Greenock Morton. Uh, Greenock Morton, I think Joe Harper and Greenock Morton was as, as big as Joe Harper and Aberdeen. I think he'd, he'd done exceptionally well at Capolo. Uh, and I only played... I couldn't have kept him out that long because I only played six senior games at my time there. But my time wasn't just six or seven weeks. I, I was there for two years at uh, Greenock Morton. First as a part-time player, playing in reserve, 16 and then taking the big decision of becoming a full-time player, which my mother didn't want me to do, but she wanted me to get a profession, a trade, get some behind. But anyway, when I was 18, if I was going to progress, I was training three nights a week at Bella Houston Park and working in Glasgow and going to night school. It was trying to do the two of them and, and um, something I had to give. Well, it wasn't going to be my football. So eventually I became full-time. That was the right decision. I ended up getting six games, and from those six games, some somebody uh, seen something in me, and, and, and Don Revy eventually paid the price and took me down to England, which I'll, I'll always be grateful for. I'm fairly sure he didn't regret it. You come from Cleland. That's right. What What did Cleland do for you? What What of Cleland is in you? And wasn't it a place where there had been footballers of Great note had come through already that I'd asked, did that influence you at all? Um, yeah, I think it may have done. Cleland's only a small, small place uh, which represents in, in the Lanarkshire area as a, as a, and, and other shires in, in Scotland. Is it? It was, it's a mining village and they did produce uh, the most famous of what was Jimmy Delaney who played for Scotland. Celtic, Manchester United went on and, and, and made a number of records. And, and Jimmy was there, and he was a friend of my dad's, but every other day you see Jimmy walking along the street or going off on the bus, off the bus, coming from work. And when you see a, a, a man like that, you're looking at someone who'd played for Manchester United and played for Celtic, won cup final medals. And the village was... I don't know, it was a place where it did breed football players. There was other players that had made careers. There was a lot of lads there 
who had ability, who played the game in every hour they could possibly get after school. 10 v 10 on the street, in the parks. A lot of them didn't maybe not have the ambition or the, or, or the discipline or the, the desire. Um, and uh, I think I did, you know. I think Clellan gave me that, gave me well, someone in Jimmy Delaney, for example, some people who had gone and been a success and uh, had made a career uh, out of football. And that's what I wanted to do. There was nothing else that competed with it. You know, I, I eventually, at 18, someone... I was delayed, I mean, I, and I'd always look at Green at Morton because there was a guy there called Eric Smith along with uh, Hal Stewart. Eric Smith was an ex-Celtic player as well, ex-Leeds player. And Eric was a great um, example in respect to what I said, disciplines, uh, habits. So at Morton, in the time I was there, I only had one pre-season there, but I did have these nights in the reserve games over the two-year span. But I, I was lucky because I worked under... Good people, but Cleland was a place where there wasn't much else to do other than play football. And I wasn't one for going to the pubs or anything like that. So it was a, a great place for me to, you know, to to be brought up in. It was it gave me um, good values, I think. I don't want to be cliched, but I do want to ask you a question because in a later generation, a guy who I met and worked around and who became Spain's record scorer. David Villa um, comes from a mining community and his dad... There's Rosie. There's Rosie. Rosie likes the question, Joe. That's, that's what's going on there. She's... David Villa came... He's, he's Asturian from Gijo and his dad was down the mines all his life. His dad took him down the mines just to let him see. Hmm. And Villa says subsequently that that's when he decided that he needed to excel at football because he wasn't going down the mines. Was there ever a moment at which going down the mines might have been an opportunity to make your living or, or would you have never done that? How does it feature? Because it's a strong, strong part of the Scottish working mentality. That yeah, well, my, my granddad died in the pits. I, I don't really know the, the ins and outs of it, but I know he was carted away from the mines uh, to the hospital in like a barra, you know, to get him there as quick as he possibly could and, and he never made it. It never crossed my mind. There, there was no, there was no other options that I wanted to look at. I, I wanted to be a football player, and I had uh, that drive that I, I wanted to be. I think there was, and people would say, I suppose, in the village of Cleland, that there would have been people more talented than me. But it takes, it takes more than, than talent and ability to be a football player. It's an, an incredibly difficult thing to be. A, successful and you need a bit of luck whether it's been the right place at the right time working under the right people good people staying clear of injury mm-hmm. and in all those aspects I think I, I was but down comes in the end it comes down to the individual to work along with the uh, the way of life takes you you know the breaks that it gives you and you've got to, you've got to take advantage of that let's talk about one I don't know which order in which order to ask these two questions but Let's, let's build up to the second question by asking you, where were you in spring 1970? Because I think that you've got a, a, a strongish affection towards Celtic. That would have probably been your team growing up. And they would have had one of the all-time classic battles of Britain 
against Leeds mm -hmm. in 1970. And we're going to go on and talk about Leeds, obviously. And so therefore, what did that game mean to you? Did you go to it? It was the European Cup semi-final. Yeah, the, the game, I mean, George Connolly scored the goal at Ellen Road. I think the game was on TV anyway. It was, a, it was a, the pitch was terrible. The replay, I went to the replay. At Hampden Park. There was 130,000 there that <laughs> night. The, the two games, one was against Aberdeen as well. Because I went to a cup final against Celtic Aberdeen. It was 130,000 at that game as well. well we, Incredible. When I, if, I, if I'm allowed, in the yeah. presence of a legend, to say the word we, because I do love my club. Yeah. Uh, we lost to Celtic in 1967 in the Scottish Cup final, but um, subsequently won one in 1970 with Joey and the team and Cup Tie Mackay and... It was also the year that Celtic had made the European Cup final. Following that semi-final, mm. they lost the final and we won, won the Cup final. So I'm not sure which one. Maybe the 67 game. May, may have been that, yeah. Could have been. I, was, I went to but I went. I was a Celtic supporter. I went, I, and when Celtic won the, um, the European Cup, I went to every single home game. Vojvodina, Fiorentina. I went to them all. Uh, Dukla Prague. But the game you're talking about, that was just prior to me going to Leeds. Yeah, it was. And yeah. I had no idea. And I went there. And Jimmy Johnson was magnificent that night. Billy scored, Billy Bremner scored the goal from about 30 yards in the top corner. And that levelled the, 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 the ties. And, but Leeds were in, in the race for the league championship, the FA Cup, and that, that, that particular tournament, uh, the European Cup, and they lost them all. Mm -hmm. I wish Celtic were the better team that night. They were the fresher team. Celtic... Went on and played um, uh, Fjord, uh, Feyenoord. Feyenoord. Yeah. Did they really matter to you, Joe? Do you know that I've already twice crossed the boundary and admitted how, what an emotional tie I've got to my club, but as a youngster, before you have this career, it's a fantastic career, did Celtic really matter to you? And I'm dead nosy. What was the process of getting a ticket for a European Cup semi-final or, or going every game in the European run in 67? How did that happen? What did you do? Well, Celtic had uh, a supporters club. And so tickets came that particular way. When they moved the game to Hamden Park for the Celtic uh, Leeds game, because 70,000 wasn't, wasn't big enough. So you, I managed to get a ticket, but it was 130,000. But going watching Celtic, Celtic were a good team, a really good team, and it's been looked upon now. And, and there, were, there were players there that you, know, you look at and were special players. I mean, I can name quite a few, but none more than Jimmy Johnson. You know, I thought Jimmy could do things as a lad stood there in the terrace and watching a player, and you think, and he, he was courageous. You know, he, he not only had the ability, but he could take a whack, look after himself, and go on with it. I have to say, I was at a game once where he, I think it was Kenny Aird. Kenny Aird was another little winger, and Kenny Aird laid uh, one right on Jimmy, a you know, bad tackle, and Jimmy turned around and, and laid him out, sent straight off. But over the piece, over the years, uh, he had the courage to take the ball, knowing that a centre-half or a full-back was going to come, come through him. But you're hinting at the fact that not only did he do that and entertain millions and win trophies, but it was quite rare for him to react. Very, could... very rare. Very rare. But I was there for enough the, the day that he, he, for some reason, he, he lost his rag. But you're talking about week in, week out, year in, year out. And he would, he would take it uh, or avoid it in respect with his ability, jump the tackles, evade the tackles. He was an unbelievable player. And I, and I was fortunate enough 
later on in, in my career, and when I say that, it was only a, a few years after that that I ended up playing with him, and, and I roomed with him once, which is just amazing the, the way that uh, life takes you, you know, you go from stood on the terrace and watching a player like him, and there was other players like, yeah, you know, like Lennox and Bobby Murdon, Billy McNeil and that, but Jimmy was the one that, that I looked upon because he could do things, you think, I don't know how you done that, you know, and then he would go and do it again. Sh should he have been rooming with you the night that he set off for America from... Was it Largs in the boat? And because no, I, 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 I thought you remember. might have no, advised I, him not to. <clears throat> no, I was I was there. Uh, I, I actually I roomed that night with Peter Lorimer and Billy Bremner. There was three in the room. It wasn't nowadays. Players have got one room, one room, <laughs> one player. But it was three. Is and Peter says, "Oh, he says it. I think there's got to be a, a bit of a night tonight." And we actually Peter we we went not early, but we we never went out. And Peter put the chair to the door so nobody, and we went to sleep. And then there was a bang on the door very early in the morning, and uh, we were told to all to report to the, the guest room. It wasn't a meeting room; it was just the room, the lounge. And we were in there way before breakfast, and it was all going off. You know, there was sirens, there was lights out. The Queen was a Queen's Hotel. Small hotel in Larks. It was unbelievable. And it was just... And Jimmy didn't think he'd done anything wrong. It was just a bit of fun. <laughs> I, I, I might sound stupid, but I kind of see it from his point of view. Yeah. If you can't have a wee laugh in life, and I'll be, I'll be blunt say that if, if yeah. I had a night out and I was a top footballer and yeah. I thought I could get away with it when there's a boat, I think I might have yeah, set yeah, off yeah, to well. see as well. Because you've got to live a little well, bit. He, he was one that uh, he liked to live... But he, he was an exceptional player, a funny, funny man. I really enjoy to be in his company, not only because he was an incredible player, but because he was a person with a great sense of humour. Make you laugh, you know. If you were rooming with him, which I did one trip, which was at uh, Trun, I think, everybody ended up in, in your bedroom because Jimmy would tell the <laughs> stories. You wouldn't get much sleep, but you get a good laugh. Yeah. I saw, um, I was at a function recently with, Barry Alden, he talked about Jimmy and Jimmy's debilitating disease and he talked about being with them and taking him out to the Bernabeu at the request of Di Stefano. And it was a Di Stefano anniversary of some kind. At a point way beyond when Jimmy had played in the Di Stefano testimonial and Di Stefano was having some sort of anniversary and had insisted that Jimmy be present. Mm. And Jimmy couldn't make it without Bertie, so Bertie took him there and, um, you know, it's not my team, but boy listening to the, the bond between the two men, listening to the loyalty from Bertie, who had to... Now, he told the story, not me. When they reached Heathrow and Jimmy had a drink or two and Jimmy needed to go to the loo, Bertie needed to help him. Mm. But told the story with great good humour and, yeah. and did. And Di Stefano kind of was moved. And Di Stefano, one of the... Maybe in the top five, six players yeah, ever, ever yeah. was moved that this great Scottish magician had come back again... Not well, a couple of years before Jimmy died. And that's a heck of a marker of not just his football abilities, you say, but a hell of a guy too. Oh, he was, he was a terrific player. Consistency, again, not just one season, but to have a career in the medals he won and, and to compete at that level. And, and, and Scottish football, it was competitive then. You know, It wasn't just uh, 
Celtic turn up and win the league, or Rangers turn up and win the league, you know, you'd Aberdeen, Hearts and the Hibs, Dundee United. You know, Jimmy was, um, he was world class in my special, opinion. You know. When I picked my team, he's my star man. It was unbelievable. Well, we jumped, because Jimmy's special, we jumped a little bit. And, and I think it's an evident testimony of how special you are that if you've had six games for Morton, and if I'm right, you're playing in a pre-season friendly at Green at Morton, Leeds have sent Don Revy, I, th I think possibly because of another Celtic and Leeds legend. He was mentioned, we, we sat down with Gary McAllister recently and Gary talked about the lineage of fiery, talented Scottish midfielders at Leeds from Bobby through Billy Bremner to eventually himself. He didn't try to put himself in that category, but he was talking about a strain of thinking at Leeds. And he talked about Bobby Collins and, and I think Bobby had a role in, in, in recommending you and, yeah. and, and saying very early in your, in your professional career to Leeds, who are Britain's number one club at the time, I think, nearly. Yeah. This yeah, is the were. fella. Tell us about the process. What happened? Uh, Bobby, um, Bobby arrived back at the twilight of his career. That was, that was it. And he came back to Scotland and it was Green at Morton. And I think it coincided with me being uh, part-time to full-time. Just round about then, and um, I get pulled with Bobby one one day in the dressing room, and um, he says, "Leeds are interested. I think they're going to make a bid for you." I'm 18. I've played a couple of games, and Bobby Collins is telling me this, and uh, <clears throat> that sort of conversation leads you not to sleep at night, you know. So one thing led to another, and it happened pretty quickly. And he said again, they have made, they are going to make a bid for you. And all the time, uh, you know, we're doing the pre-season and we're into the season now. And um, Hal Stewart is saying nothing to me, absolutely nothing. But I I know. And then um, me and Bobby, I played one of the games I played was Ibrox, and uh, I either won one nothing or two nothing. I've got a picture, and Bobby scored one of the goals. I think the goalkeeper must have parried it out and Bobby's hit it from two yards he's, and he's tried to burst the net with it from two <laughs> yards. In Morton, in my six games, I, that was one of my games and we go to Ibrox and we, we won. I think it was one on two, which was unbelievable. But Bobby, Bobby was what Leeds stood for. Bobby, I mean, I, I listened many occasions where Jack Charlton, he'll got up at a dinner or got up and, and he'll say the two greatest players at Leeds United uh, are John Charles and Bobby Collins. Bobby Collins, and then he'll go on, Jack, and tell you what, what Bobby Collins was. Bobby Collins is what legionated, stood for what he um, gave that club, the standards, and you ask any of the players, the Eddie Gray, your Peter Lorimer, your Paul Madeley, your Paul Rene, all the players that are still about, and the older ones, when I say the older ones, that were the ones that are still alive, who were at the beginning in the 60s of Don Revy's Leeds United. Bobby Collins, and Don Revy brought him from Everton and put him in that dressing room. And it was not just what went on, on in the field of play, it, it was in the dressing room. So I seen that in uh, Green and Morton's dressing room as well. As I say, I, I left Capelo with good habits. Because these people, like I mentioned, I touched on Eric Smith when it was part-time, and, and Bobby Collins, what he stood for, you know. Every training session at Leeds United was proper. You know, it was um, nothing, nothing taken, nothing given. It was competitive. There wasn't like, even on a Friday, five aside, there was, there was no standing back. 
it was a game to win. And that was Bobby Collins. Now, if you go on those ex-teammates, I mean, and they will tell you exactly that. And I, I became I became very friendly with Bobby, although there was a, a big age gap. I, I, I kept in contact him right through my, my career. He ended up um, in Godfather, one of, one of my kids. We used to go to his house regular. I remember he did ask, and he received it. when I was in Italy, Betty, his wife, uh, wanted to, uh, to get my pair of Italian shoes. So <laughs> we had to go and search. And I don't know, his size were about five, something like that. So we had to go and search for these Italian, wanted Italian shoes, and we got them. And he passed away there, not long back there, and he still had the Italian shoes. He was an immaculate man, immaculate dress, but his standards, his, his will to win, I think, typifies for me a real Scotsman. In this series, particularly with a friend of yours, Harry Redknapp, I, I felt, well, my facts are hooked. I, I want to know about Bobby Collins now, for me. But what we found is, when I was starting to talk about John White, who my dad had told me about, mm -hmm. who I'd never seen, but my dad just mentioned, the two that my dad talked about a lot, Charlie Cook and, and John White, I was able to see Charlie and meet Charlie, and that was a great thing. But he'd always said that maybe John White might have gone on to be one of the all-time greats. So I asked Harry about him, and Harry had known him when Harry was a junior at Spurs, so we talked about them. And on Christmas, John's brother and sister had heard the interview, had been given it by a friend, had listened to Harry and I talking about John and been in tears. But also people flooded us with, my dad said, my uncle said, my granddad said about John White. So now we're at that moment with Bobby. You've described him beautifully as a man, but there'll be an appetite for people listening to this, Joe, about just describe him a little bit what he did as a footballer. What kind of footballer are we talking about? Some, sometimes I... I look at people uh, analysing like midfield players that I played with and, and, and things like that. Uh, you know, they'll talk about Johnny Giles, Billy Brennan, Graham Souness, and, and, and all these, all these with Brian Robson. And they'll go on about um, these people, and they'll go on about them as like, hard men, competitive men, don't give an inch. That really goes without saying. These people that I mentioned, whose names are mentioned, they had a ability, you know, and people shouldn't, they look at them and, and bracket them, oh, these players could compete, these players wouldn't give an inch, take nothing. That's fine, but don't overlook, don't think that that is all these players, uh, that was their, their strengths. That was along with the ability they had. And sometimes I, I think they're not given the credit because people are lied on war. They could compete. They, 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 they wouldn't back off. They would put a tackle in. And that was for starters, you know. What went along with that was the ability that they had. Now, if we come to Bobby Collins, and I've mentioned those because some people would, would know their names, Bobby Collins cannot be forgotten because he was the giant in that Legionated dressing room. Uh, and that was before I went there. And his legacy was still there because of what those players produced and carried on. So it wasn't the fact that Bobby could tackle and look after himself and other people. It was what he, the standards he set on the field, the, the desire to win, the passion to play the game. And then we'll maybe talk about his ability, which some people just overlook it. 
as they do the other guys. He could pass a ball left and right. You know, he had a range of passing. Could tackle, could score goals, score goals, midfield, great striker of the ball. He had a package. He had, he had it all. And this came every week. Mm. And if he did have an off day, he's one of these guys, and there's, there's not many that can do it. When he's not playing well, he can still tell you and me and someone else, hey, get a grip, sharpen up. Now, that is, that is, a, is a great asset to have. That is a, an incredible strength. To be able to do that, when things, as a captain, as he was, aren't going particularly well for you, but he still makes sure that other people, on that odd occasion, that his, his own game's not right. That, that is, that's something that, that sets a player out from others. We, we live in an age where we, we probably have too much opportunity to watch too much football. It's at times like this that you feel it's a sin that there aren't acres and acres of video footage showing I'd love to go back and watch and learn based on what you've said to go back and appreciate it. we've got your words and they're, they're brilliant descriptive words but boy I'd love to have seen a man like that play yeah well I just um, I was in the dressing room with players who who, um, who played with Bobby at his peak and his, his peak then was after he'd had a career at Celtic and at Everton and then come to Leeds and he still had enough about him and he would have been in his early 30s then, late 20s, early 30s, to have all these young players like your Norman Hunters and Eddie Grays, and Paul, they were led by this guy. They, they learnt the game and what the game meant by Bobby Kongs. And, and Don Revy on the field of play allowed Bobby to educate these players mm-hmm. what it was, what it meant to play for Leeds United. There, there I was going to segue into because... I have a fascination about Don, and because you were there, because Eddie Gray, I thought was, when I was growing up, I thought was a genius. I would have paid everything I ever had to watch Eddie Gray play because he was so good. But when you throw in um, yourself and eventually David Harvey and Gordon McQueen, Peter Lorimer, it leads what I said, I followed all the time, um, right from my earliest days. But I never really understood, I haven't really understood Don Reavy well, and didn't know until very recently that as a footballer himself, before we even talk about what he was as a leader or an organiser or a builder of a club and a coach, that he'd been a very, very good oh, player. Yeah. He was a Football Writers yeah. Player of the Year in 55 at City. Described, I never saw it, obviously, as, as a sort of Hidiguchi, deep-lying striker. Yeah. That, that There's nothing new under the sun. We, we all got very excited about Messi being moved deep. and So if Bobby was his representative on the pitch... Describe the man that you met who, who signed you, having seen you playing at centre-half for Morton against Jeff Assel in a friendly, yeah. which would have been an experience at the time. Yeah, it was the first and only time I played centre-half, but um, I think, he, he, obviously, he, um, he came with Morris Lindley that night. I'll, I'll never forget it, uh, Anglo-Scottish singing. I must have done all right. I think we got a draw. But uh, he, was, he was a meticulous guy, someone that had a, a presence... Never missed a trick, knew everything that was going on. Somebody you would play for, someone who, who you would trust, someone you thought would uh, they'd look after you. Loved his football, loved his team, loved his players. Uh, he got a little bit of criticism 
I suppose you could call it criticism, for his um, his thoughts and his actions and his preparations on the opposition. I, I, I never thought that was a big deal, you know. I think it was exaggerated a bit. He, he, he did pay respect to the opposition, uh, but not... If Just you explain what you mean by that, because there'll be a lot of people don't understand what he might have been criticised for in terms of his preparation. Well, the there were, like, I think when he went to England and all these other players, um, they hadn't come across it before, where there was maybe a dossier on a player or a dossier on the team, mm-hmm. an, in, an insight into who you were playing against and how they played, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were. And Don had that, but I can't really remember sitting down and getting a, a dossier in writing. He may have done it when he went to, to England. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe these, these players were, were there for three or four days. He maybe had, thought he had to get it in reprint. But I do remember sat there, we would have a, a, a pre-match meal. I think it was a, the Manor House in Leeds. And then we'd come back down Ellen Road and we would be in a, a, the lounge. He had a player's lounge in Ellen Road and we'd all sit down. He would be announced, he would go, I mean, then he would eventually announce the team. But he, he would get us in there and watch the TV or lead up to Grandstand or whatever it was. And then he would talk through the game that they were going to get involved in at three o'clock. And he would maybe enlighten you on what he thought you needed to know regarding the opposition, whether it was an individual or what they were going to face as a player or as a as a team, you know. And, but that, that's taken for granted now. But he he did that. It is now, Joe. But I, I'm listening to what you've said about Bobby and Eric. What you learned, the habits you learned at Morton. Although this was a, a big step for even a talented young man, it was it was still a big step you'd made. I imagine that when these things were happening and he was briefing you all, at the time it made perfect common sense to you that you would prepare. Is that fair or or was it kind did it feel a bit new and odd? Not really. Um because when I went when I went to Leeds, everything at Leeds was was professional. Um it was the way that and I w I wouldn't know, I, I couldn't really compare it with, with all I could compare it with Morton. And I've got to say Morton were all right, but I was a part time at Morton and I was only full time for two or three months, but everything at Morton was fine. Uh, but when I went to Leeds, everything was professional. Everything was, what had to be done, was done. It was run with the same habits and disciplines that Don Revy gave to the players, and the players took that on board when they crossed the line. And I think that was one of their, their big strengths, you know, to, to be, because now, again, as time is, is shown there. And unless you have these values in a, in a football team and club, you cannot be successful. And you cannot be successful uh, for a, a period of time. You, you, you have got to have a, like a, f- a philosophy. You've got to have a way of playing. You've got to have a way of running the club. And until that's sorted out, you may get an odd break where you get a cup or something like that, but you will not have consistency. You will not be competing year in, year out. You may not win, but the th- great thing about Leeds United was, and it's unfortunate in a way, was because they, they came second numerous times. But the following year, they were there again. They competed and they, the knockback that they'd had, they got up and they would go again. And that was down to the determination and the way things were run by Don Revy. Small details are big surfaces. 
Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured, or tall? Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I hope you it's already established that both Neil and I, and I think the listeners know that we're talking to you because Leeds, for all the other reputations they had, you had a team of fabulous footballers. I think that's underplayed. That right across the squad, whether it was brilliance in marking, and I remember admiring Rini and Maidler, whether it was passing or the ability to beat a man, shooting from distance, whatever it was, to my eyes then, and looking back, it was all there. What I also think has been forgotten, and I begrudge this, is that Leeds, both before you joined and afterwards, played in European finals in 67, 68, 71, 73 and 75. Mm. I still think that talent and well-coached and planned and philosophy aside, I still think that's an extraordinary achievement. Some of the trophies were won. Mm. And if I'm right, very early, very early, before you're an established first team, you play in the build-up to winning the Fairs Cup that becomes the UEFA Cup and the Europa League now. In, you, you play in big games against Vittoria and, and then yeah. eliminating Shankly's Liverpool. Yeah, I got, a touch, I got a touch, an early touch of what it was all about. Um, I do remember that because Billy scored in the semi-final at, uh, at Anfield. Unbelievable. He'd been out for about six weeks with an ankle injury. Billy was a bit unique that way. He trained, I think, two days. There is no no way that a, a normal uh, football player, I mean, they would gone on about De Bruyne, who's come back, and, and he's the boy did fantastic. But he's been rehabbed and all that, and that shows you what a good player he is. And, but Billy was such a natural football player, but it was only a few days, and he goes to Anfield, and he played. And... Uh, you know, the adrenaline in him, um, he had a marvellous game and he scored what proved to be the winning goal. One uh, an away goal there, uh, nil-nil at Ellen Road, I think, and, and that was it. We were through, we played Juventus in the final. And that was an early insight to me, because I think that the Juventus trip was my first time 
abroad, you know. So I went there, it was great, it was fantastic. So let's put that in context. You've come in after a couple of months of being a professional, still a very young man. You've been anointed by Bobby Collins, which is something in itself should be a, an experience so special it might be the only special thing that happens to you for a couple of years. You get an early touch, you've knocked Shankly's Liverpool out. It's a shame in the two legs of the first cup then, I don't think you're on the pitch, but no. you're involved. Yeah. And you've never been abroad before. You're playing Capella's in yeah. midfield, Betka yeah, up front. Yeah. Anastasia. I remember, it was unbelievable. Because I remember at Ellen Road, I mean, you can back for quite a few years, the, 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 the toilet, the players in the Juventus dressing room had to come out, come along the corridor, and it was a, like a toilet. So they were coming out to go to the toilet, but they were also coming out to, to warm up. And you see these guys come up, like Capella and that, and they had a couple, a couple of... Uh, I think Helmut Haller was in the team. Yeah. And these guys are coming, and these are guys that you've seen playing, like, say, World, World Cup finals <laughs> and things like that. And you're thinking, it's unbelievable, you know? And the foreign scene is completely new to me, and to be a, a part of it was brilliant. I, as you say, I never got involved in, in, in the final, but I went there, and, and we were actually entering, and the game got postponed. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, it did. Well, I say it got postponed, it got abandoned. Is it fog? It was rain. They played the game and they played it to a point where it was like on a, say on a Wednesday night. They played it to the point where they could, they'd never get their money back, you know? <laughs> so, and then they abandoned the game. Dear and that was dear. a Wednesday. And then they played the game on, we stayed over. So with two days extra in, in Turin, played on the Friday. How did Don treat those two days? I, I can't remember. Did you treat, no. I can't remember. Because you, the game's taking place, going to take place at the stadio, the old stadio Comunale. Yeah, Comunale, yeah. It's years before the Deli Alpi, and they're now back at the Comunale. And I suppose, given the preparation, I don't, listen, if you get, it's a long time ago, but I'm curious because he's got you to a certain peak. As a meticulous man, he's got his preparations just right. You play three quarters of a game, you stop, you've got to stay in Italy, it's unscheduled, but you have to have your mentality and your fitness yeah. and everything back right again. Not an easy job, particularly in those days, I'd have said. Well, it was, it was a one-off, you know, that didn't happen. There was a talk about going back to Leeds and then coming back, but that was cancelled. We just, I know we were out of the city. We were up, not in the mountains, but up in the, 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 uh, the hills. Uh, and then coming down, I do remember coming down for, um, for, for a visit. Uh, I mean, Turin's a lovely place. And coming round in a little bit of a, you know, a break... Uh, but that's all I can remember. And then the game getting played on the Friday night and, and Leeds eventually won in away goals, 2-2. Mm -hmm. And then they, they, won, the, the, sorry, they, they won, won the cup by the away goals. And that was fantastic. You know. was, as I say, it was my first, my first time abroad. You, you used a football phrase there, which is still a little bit of touch. So it was to indicate that this was you playing before you were really, really established. What's the process? How did you assess the process of establishing yourself within this character-filled training ground, dressing room, beyond training well, beyond playing well. Was there a point at which you had to, did, did anybody seek you out and did Billy help you? Did you have to, was there a point at which you had to knock somebody over on a Friday before? Because yeah. when you mentioned the five or six games on a Friday, what you were hinting was that you played it as if it was the Saturday match, yeah. whether you might injure a, a fellow yeah. player or, or not, which is a, it's a big thing for people to understand, I yeah. think, because now there might be a bit more cotton wool attitude. Hell's teeth, don't injure this fella. Yeah. Bigger. What, what did you have to do to adapt? Because that was one characterful squad. Yeah, well, I think... I, was, I say 
th there was one benefit then um, from from I think it's hard for for young boys to come through a team like a Leeds United or say it like a Chelsea now or a, or an Arsenal. I think circumstances have got to fall into place. I think, as I say, I think it is really difficult now because you look at the squads and they need instant success. Mm -hmm. In those days, there was an investment in me, which I think I went for 15 grand, which was a, wasn't was a lot of money, but for a young lad from, from nowhere, it was a bit of money. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they had, they had invested that. So I was part of the squad. So I, I, if I was part of the squad, uh, they had to... They had to make use of that. The squads were s small. They weren't enormous. I did get my chance. I got my chance because Don Revy obviously seen something in me. And as I progressed, he seen that I was getting to the, the point where I was competing. And then when I did compete, I definitely think that, again, he seen something that made him think, well, we've got an asset here, you know. We've got to use them. But I've got to say, it wasn't easy getting into the Legion United team because these players were all international players. They were a group, they were a team that had been successful and there was a formula there. Uh, so you had to do everything and be ready for that opportunity whenever it would arise. And I got more opportunities, whether it was through playing well or through injuries or what, I got in. Daily, on a daily basis in training, in training games, were you up against Norman and initially Jack Charlton? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, once once I uh, I settled in and come through. I mean, I went there, and although I had been training at, at Capello and that, and I'd done my pre-season, I was I was way behind because I'd only been training as a as a full-time pro for a short period of time. Come to Ellen Road, yeah, I I I would I would say when I first arrived, that that. Like first three or four weeks, I would have said I took a step back, and that would have been down to trying to catch up on uh, the um, the fitness levels of the other players at, at my age. Never mind mm -hmm. uh, the senior the hunters. Yeah, that, so that that was something that, that came by training every single day and, and training at at that standard. So eventually, it came through that. And um, then I, be, I became a part of the squad, a young lad at the time. But I got mod game and um, showed enough in it that uh, the Don Revy um, took note of it and brought me on and played me whenever necessary. In this series, when we were talking with Graham, as soon as he talked about the England-Scotland games and with Terry Butcher and England-Scotland games at Ibrox when they were there together. And for a youngster looking in, it was great to see Scots all over that squad, but was there... A a dividing training was that? Would Jack Charlton's a proud Englishman trying to put you up in the air because you were a young Scot, or how well, how were the no, teams the, divided the, up in no, training? No, you didn't need to be Scot for uh, a Scot for <laughs> no, for, for Big Jack to do. They were the most competitive games, training sessions, and I'm 18 then, than I've had in my career in training. And all the clubs I've been at, they were played in the same way as you said earlier, like a Saturday game. The Friday game was played like a Saturday game. And there was nothing, nothing held back. <laughs> Full on. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, um, and at the end of it, we would have a vote, which a lot of, a lot of clubs do it now. They have a vote on who was uh, the worst player. And it, it was, you know, people would fall out. 
because of votes going to a certain individual and him not accepting it. The dressing room and the training ground, not just at Ellen Road, but in a football club in that era, and I'm, I think it has altered a little bit now, could make you or break you. How you handled the pressure that went um, by being involved with these individuals, both on the training pitch, in the dressing room, you had to handle it. You had to get on with it. And nobody would look after you? Um, no, it wasn't a case of... You had to survive it. You had to handle... I mean, Don Revy, I think he maybe thought he was doing me a favour. When I came down, Don Revy stripped me between Peter Lorimer and Eddie Gray. Mm -hmm. He'd done that because there was two Scots and he thought that they would have a kind... He wouldn't have done it next to Billy because Billy would have been ripping into you left, right and centre, you know, and, and the big joke coming from that. You know, so... It's the first time this morning you've confused me. Go on. Explain that. What, what, Billy would have... What? But Billy was... Um, what would you say? He was a character Billy. He was a, a laugh, um, but he, he wouldn't treat you as uh, an 18 or He would treat you as a pro. You're there, you handle it, you go on with it, and, and that's the way it was. Everybody's, everybody's different. Eddie and Peter... They, they would take the mic, uh, but they would be a wee bit more sympathetic. But the older generation, like say, Gelsie and Jack and I, they, they were there. So Don Revy put me in between these two younger elements of the squad. They, they were, I've been 18, so they would maybe be about 23, 24, to look after me. So that, that was basically it, you know, that, that was his thoughts. Billy, Billy would look after you in the game, but in the dressing room, he, he treated everybody as an equal, you know, if you were in there, in the pros dressing room, got on with it. When were you allowed to prank Jack? Jack wouldn't have been there for, the, for a massive part of your career, but you wrote about Jack Charlton was the subject, was probably the principal subject of what is a, a staple part of your football dressing room. Yeah. Human at other people's expenses or tit for tat stuff that either gets out the adrenaline or the testosterone, but a lot of fun is had at other people's expenses. And it seemed to me that when you wrote about your life in football that Jack very often was the butt of that. I don't know why. Um, because Jack would react. Jack would have, if he, if he ever caught anybody, would have him up against the wall. Jack, I mean, Jack, <laughs> I, I remember Jack, Winter's Day, Snow, Elmwood Car Park, two foot deep. Well, they, they, they took Jack's keys, his car, uh, well, he was getting insured and that, and they went, they went out and they had rolled up in snow and put a snowman on the driver's seat. <laughs> they rolled it up and they, and they got a carrot and stones <laughs> on it. So they sat it in his, in, in his car and then went back uh, in the dressing room and put the keys back in his pocket. <laughs> and Jack, was, Jack had to go out, open the car and the snowman sat in the car. And if Jack had caught anybody doing that, he would have killed him, you know? And that's why... <laughs> I think that's why they, they, they were in that. And Jack was, was fearsome. He was a terrific person, a terrific player. But he was someone... Jack was a legend. Jack had a World Cup final medal, you know? And Jack was... Very funny Jack, man, isn't he? He was, he was a great, great guy. Bumped into him. Eddie did dinner. Yeah, sort of like a, at a reunion about... Just over a year ago, and Jack was there. He's sharp. A, he's the great skills of a raconteur. Unbelievable, yeah. And I remember um, a friend of yours, Jim Lawton, writing um, Bobby Charlton's autobiography with Bobby. 
And I, I, having met Jack a lot and listened to him a lot, without thinking it through, he was kind of my favourite Charlton. And then you see his brother, who's quite different in, in temperament and mentality, all that, but one heck of a family. And I think they're related to Jackie Milburn as well, aren't they? I think so, and, yeah. And that tells you that's some blooming yeah. lineage, that is. Yeah. My big Jack's great company. Great company. But he, he was he was coming to the end, eh? And, and he was, aye. He was coming to the end of his career and he eventually went off to Middlesbrough. But I had the pleasure of playing alongside him, playing against him in, in the training games and that. And going into the Ellen Road, because uh, when I first arrived at Ellen Road, that would be 1970, and there was about five or six World Cup cars, four Cortina GT or something like that. And I thought, I don't believe this. I'd bought a car at uh, Glasgow Car Market. Me and my uncle went in and bought it. And um, he eventually drove it down and had to get it panel beated and something like that, you know. And all the, uh, the, the engine, my, my, my uncle said, the engine's good. The engine's good, but the body will be so. We'll take the nicks and the bangs yeah. out of it. But just going and getting that car park and all these, you know, like Paul Mayley, Paul Rainey, Alan Clark, Les Corker. All these England players from the were, from the nineteen seventy yeah. World Cup. Yeah, they're all there with a back England badge on it. We'll be watching and waiting. Yeah. By the time you established, you did something which I mean, Joe, I would literally talk the hind legs off you and the donkey. But we can't do every glorious thing in in your Leeds career, and there's so much more to talk about. But by by the time you're thoroughly established, you play against a hero of mine who died recently. John Cruyff, you, you've played against Milan in another European final in which you, you play very nearly score. A final which doesn't look too pretty when you look back at the refereeing, although that AC Milan side could also really, really play. Um, a game in Greece, I think. I, I yes. don't know what your memories are of that, and but, no, but you damn nearly score and you damn nearly make and you stand out, and I'm sure maybe in later years that performance against AC Milan comes back to do you a favour, but... These two eras, I want, I want Milan beating Leeds and then coming on to the semi-final against Barcelona were, again, because you were on television as a young Scot, I followed very closely and they must have been epic nights, epic experiences. Yeah, they were. Uh, that one would be uh, 73, I think, AC Milan and Salonica. I do remember it. It looked an awful, um, what would you say, an, an awful result in that the best team didn't win. No. It wasn't fair. I mean, there's nothing you can change now. That's it. That's the circumstances. But Leeds deserved to win that. It was an awful advert for football and the injustice of the game. To lose the game in that manner I mean, and against a club that I later played for. And they are a great club. But on the night, uh, Leeds United should have won the game. The, the neutral fans were there, boo Milan at the end when yeah. the whistle goes, jeer and boo them. If I'm not wrong, I think you play without Brendan and Giles. I can't really remember the team. And you very nearly score yourself, and it's an early free kick, and it goes away from you. And as a result, I suppose that by the time Don's gone to England and Jimmy's taken over, and only two years later, you go all the way to a semi final and a final. Does the Barcelona game stand out as an experience too? Because it it does. Uh, you you mentioned. I mean, it is it is um, it's a rain check. You know, when, when you get someone like uh, like Cruyff and he dies, and I'm I'm telling my lads now, 
And they, they, they know Johann Cruyff, but they, they don't know what he stood for. Now, there was only maybe four or five years difference in age between him and me, but it was five years, four or five years is a huge chunk. If I'm 16, 17, he's 21, and so I'm at 16, he's 20, he's, he's doing it. He's only 20 years of age, but I'm a kid at 16, I'm watching this guy playing in European Cup finals and being the player, the player, the world player, he was doing things that were new, doing things in a team that Ajax, never heard of the Ajax. This jersey, never seen a jersey like that before. Never seen movements, uh, the control. See, someone said that he didn't, remember he said he didn't have pace. I thought he was, I thought he was lightning. He seemed to float, Joe. He was, he, yeah, he was elegant. He was an unbelievable player. And I ended up, playing against in the European Cup semi-final. And he would be 27, 28. He was at, at his peak. He'd won all the three European Cups and he'd gone to Barcelona. So we're, we're playing him in the semi-final. They, they were obviously a terrific team. Cruyff and Niskins and people like that. And we, um, we won 2-1. You make both the goals. I had a hand in both. The first one's lovely. Giles to Jordan. Yeah, Jordan down. Billy well, Bremner, right foot, top corner. It's a gorgeous goal, eh? Yeah, it was Billy's strike was that was Billy semi fame. Billy scored big games. Billy scored goals in big games, you know. The Celtic game we're spoken about, semi finals, European Cup, Barcelona semi finals, bump goal. Then the 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 replay, I'd already played it. Look, I'm is that right? For yeah, I played. It would have been my first one of my first games. One of my first games. When the Fierce Cup, the first winners of the Fierce Cup was, um, I've got a medal, was Barcelona. And the last winners of the Fierce Cup was Leeds United. So they played to see who kept the trophy. I never knew that. Yeah, I've got a medal, I'll show you before. Gosh. And uh, I scored. We got beat 2-1 and I scored. I scored in Newcamp. Wow. I was a kid, that was, that was one of my first games. I'd be 19 then. What sort of year then in that case? That would be 72. So just before Cruyff, I yeah. think, because well, he signed in 73 anyway. Yeah. So it's Gosh, 72. the year, the same year as Rangers playing the camp now to win the, the Cup Winners' Cup. It's a, it must have it. Had you played in a stadium like that before? No, I don't think you could have done. Was it an, an impressive experience that night? Well, it was for me. Yeah. Yeah, it was for me because um, I, I'm, I'm kicking off, I score a goal uh, and I'm playing against uh, a, top, a top club in the world. So Probably that, that, 100,000 people there. I don't think there was... Not so full. No, it wasn't full. I've never heard of this game. I just didn't know. No. It's nice to be educated. Yeah, nice, to, nice to get a medal. So, yeah. But you, then you knock them out in the camp now because you go there having won 2-1 at Elland Road and you knock them out in the second leg at the camp now, which I think's maybe a draw. It was a draw. Peter Lormer scored. Long ball flicked it on and Peter's hit it from about 20 yards, top corner. And then Gordon gets sent off. He gets sent off, so it'll be 10 men, and then they score a goal, and they drew 1-1, one, one, and we got, I, I got a, a right batter in the second half. I, I got five, five, no, first half, sorry, first half. I got five stitches at half time. I got a real batter, and someone done my nose as well. Two, two incidents, off the ball. Both off the ball, deliberately. Oh, they, they were very, very cleverly done, you know, and, and there was no referee, never, done, never seen it. And that was an experience for me. I, I was, 
I'd be 21-22 or something then. But they, That's a punch, is it? I'll give you money, it's Miguel. It's Miguel, without any question. Miguel, I played against Miguel. Miguel was, I played against him, and I played against him in Scotland. He was, he's hard and competitive, and I got on with it. There was a Brazilian played in the team. Okay. I couldn't really tell you who, who did it, but it, was, it wasn't one uh, incident. It was a f- there was a few. Obviously, it was a game, a huge game. Anyway, we, we won it, so they take it as it comes. It was, it's history, you know, it's last life. It was something that uh, you have to face and something that I did face throughout my career, and that was part of the game, really. Is there a chance? We try to be... Fr- we get, we've had something like two and a half million listeners so far. Every All these interviews are free because all we want to do is to have these beautiful experiences and share them. Mm. But what we get is a big feedback, and we like people to ask... And I think it's maybe a straightforward question, but we've two that have deluged us more than any other time we've offered the chance to ask. One is, I don't know whether people mean your your meanest opponent, but in those days when, before the game graduated a little bit and when it was still not a free-for-all, but the interpretation of the laws, maybe you've already said who your hardest opponent was and it was in training. People deluged us. Who was your hardest opponent? In your, in your career? I've been asked that many a times, and I, I do not have one, because I, I, I look at every game, if I take the English League at that time, every game for me was a, was a hard game. Mm-hmm. It was a centre-half a centre or two centre-halves. I never, I never had an easy game. Mm-hmm. I never looked upon it as the game being easy. I, I, I me personally, I, I had to be at my peak in respect physically and mentally to handle the standards that I was playing. I had, I had to be on, on my game. A lot of my game was, um, you know, was the physical side of it because I, I, I was a player that I was asked to do this or, and prepared to do that from beginning to end. It, there was not just the physical running, but you're going up, you're, you're exerting yourself, you're heading the ball, you're competing for tackles, you... There's, there's times where people are hitting you, you know, so you, you've got to go over that. And, and referees gave them two or three for free, didn't they, in those days? Yes, yes, they did, yeah. No question. You know, that, that, that you just accepted. And I was, I was lucky, touching wood, that I, didn't, I got away with not having too many. I had my share injuries, but nothing really uh, severe. Uh, so I was, I was very lucky because you're right, the first 15, 20 minutes... Anything went, and the referees would turn around and have a word, possibly coming up to the end of that twenty minutes to the to the centre half, you know. And so you had to keep your temper and keep your yeah, legs on well, you for yeah, twenty minutes, yeah. and then maybe you could play. And then it would settle down, and then um, the referee had to take hopefully take action then. But there was no names, you know. See, I, I think I'm interpreting for a lot of people. I yeah. don't think it was just like. Who battered you and who'd battered you back? Who had that mix as well of being a really hard physical game, but could play brilliantly ah, well, too? There, there, there was there was lots. I mean, you know, there is you can check the stats between the mid sixties and the mid seventies. Over that ten years, there's actually about seven teams won the English first division. You had Arsenal, Everton, mm-hmm. Leeds, City. Manchester City, Man United, and Derby County. Mm-hmm. At six, so the the game was so competitive. It wasn't like a two horse race. No, 
every year, and there would be another team who would, their players would be back or they brought someone in or a player's matured. So if you look at the midfield partnership, you know, unbelievable, you know, Bremner and Gels, and, and you look at the other ones, Bobby Charlton and Styles, or uh, you look at Ball and Harvey, and you, you know, you go through these teams in that division. So the same applied to centre halves as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. So they were each team that there wasn't that much between them, you know. Nobody was running away with it, and no one was going to disappear. They, they were there or thereabouts, and that, that's what made Leeds great because they they were there every single year, and that's what you know. For me, was it that I mentioned there? That was a great strength of Leeds United because they would come back yeah. through having a, a season where the, the big one. Well, I mentioned 1970 where they lost the three targets they were going for. But that I remember sitting in buses and coming away. Leeds, they won the FA Cup and I didn't play, but I was, I was there. Against Arsenal, no? Against Arsenal. Yeah. Getting on the bus on the Saturday night and having to play the game on Monday at Wolves, having to win, there was two other teams waiting, had to win the Wolves game to win the league championship four hours after playing a cup final. That would not happen nowadays. <laughs> And then it's a great injustice. It was you, you wrong. You can't do yourself justice. No, it, it was it was wrong. But that was a, dis- a big disappointment. But the fall year leads are up and away again. So Rosie's angry now. Yeah, I like her. I like she. She understands soccer. Then the way to move because I, if you will allow it, there's still a lot to ask you. 75 in the final that you've qualified for against Bayern Munich is a horrible memory for so many different reasons mostly football, but tell me if I'm right that either Jimmy or the club decided to let Don lead you out to the final, is that right? No. My memory was that Don Reeve was involved in the build-up to the to that final. It's in Paris, isn't it? Against it's, Bayern Munich. Yeah, it was part of France. I think Don Reeve was at the game, but he was in the stand. Mm-hmm. I, I can't recall, but I, I know he, he was he was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's... I never, I never seen him on the trip. What did the game feel like? Uh, again, you look back on it. Uh, but people tell me I've never seen the game, but I've, I've seen the penalty that was wasn't it, um, on Alan and Alan Clark. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I've seen Peter Lorimer's goal from twenty Which yards. Which is just a goal. Uh, and and both of them would have given you the great opportunity to to win the game outright. But we never won it. Uh, that was a big disappointment, and not just for for me and the players, but for the club because I think things then just. That killed it a little bit, you know. That was, um, I think that was maybe the, the, the last of that era, that particular team, mm-hmm. you know, competing with the best in Europe. It's my opinion that part of your incessantly positive remarks about the people we speak to in the big interview is the medium's ability to explain things which have been forgotten or pigeonholed or maybe some of you have only been told about by fathers, uncles, grandparents. I think that's vital. The past is not irrelevant. And in my opinion, again, Joe Jordan just gave a brilliant exposition of what was special about Leeds, that there was a philosophy, that the man behind it all, Don Revy, whether you did or didn't like him, had intelligence, had a tremendous strategy, had an ability to spot players, had an ability to allow them to be his representatives on the pitch. And while if you haven't seen the leads of that era, then 
the shock for you looking back will be that they were very hard. There was no question that some of them were vindictive. But what's happened over the years is that that has left them pigeonholed. Pigeonholed as being disliked because Don Reavy, in the view of the England media, let his country down with England when they when he left the, the England job and went to coach in Saudi Arabia. And I think that many of the teams who took success for granted didn't like these upstarts from Yorkshire coming and pushing them around. They were hard-nosed. There were moments when you won't believe the tackles, but they could play. And I just explained that in great detail, that that was a club who represented values that you could transfer to the hugely successful Real Madrid, Manchester United, Juventus, Chelsea, Barcelona sides that have dominated Europe. You can see a lot of the values that Leeds United represented in that period that Joe's been talking about in the Nottingham Forest that Brian Clough took to the summit of European football and he's lauded for. There weren't so many differences in attitude and the things that made them hard-nosed to play against. But what unites all of those sides is strategy, a strong leader and brilliant footballers. Thanks to Joe for telling that. And there's one more thing. He talks with pain about the experiences of losing a European final to AC Milan, losing a, a European final that they should at least have had two goals in. Peter Lorimer's disallowed goal was a scandal and there probably was a penalty denied. For those of you who are younger and who have grown up used to the Champions League, there's one thing to remember. When people complain about the Champions League or massive televisation of football, what you don't have anymore is what I grew up with. The feeling that away games in Europe, whether finals or competitive knockout ties, sometimes clubs, associations, referees felt unaccountable. They felt that there was no relationship between what should be happening in a spirit of fair play and what did happen. That was something that our football teams in, in Great Britain and Ireland had to suffer again and again in the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s and suffer less now that because of the televisation, because of the way in which the Champions League is run. You might contest a decision, you might be unhappy with the result, but usually there will be accountability and scrutiny. Football has changed and in some aspects not for the better, but in those aspects massively for the better. And I sat next to Joe Jordan talking to him about two finals in which he felt robbed. He didn't make a scandalous fuss about it. He still wasn't shaking his fist. He didn't pinpoint anybody and say that person was a cheat. But I know that deep in his heart, he wasn't complaining that they were beaten. He was complaining that he felt that there was more than simply 11 men against them. They're gone. They lost. History says AC Milan and Bayern Munich won those trophies. Fine. I think sometimes it's worth drawing breath and remembering. It's not quite like that anymore. We always have to look out for wrongdoing. But things have got better. And Joe explained what it used to be like. Part one's over. Part two's just as good. Do not on any account miss it. We love having you with us. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 